Hammer Smash Face from Cannibal Corpse's Tomb of the Mutilated, which must mean it is what year, Mr. Mark? 1992. Holy cow, this yeah. is Jason. And Mark, and you're listening to the Requiem Metal Podcast, Crucial Years of Metal. Yes. 1992. Part 7 on our 10-part countdown to the top 10, uh, I guess, most crucial years of metal um, in our humble, oh, so humble opinions. Uh, Tomb of Mutilated, this is a record that got a lot of feature from us uh, not too long back when we did our Cannibal Corpse show. Yes, it was also uh, highlighted in uh, Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Yes, and was a Decibel Hall of Fame record. Yeah. And uh, this has just got that kind of punch to start the year off and uh, kind of give us an indication of, of what's sort of going on uh, in the metal scene in 1992. In a lot. Yeah, this was a uh, this was a tough one. I mean, we, we had a lot of records that we had to sort of eliminate. Um, you know, I mean, some of the ones that just barely... Uh, got cut at the end there, you know, like uh, Bolt Throwers, uh, Fourth Crusade, Incantation, Onward to Golgotha. Um, you know, I think Faith No More, Angel Dust was on the very, you know, the cutting mm-hmm. block there. You know, so there's a lot of great records, you know, and I mean, if we if we had more time, we'd play stuff, um, you know, obviously a lot more, but we're constrained by the bandwidth. Well, plus you don't want of, it to be uh, you know, well, a three-hour show each time. Yeah, and yeah, exhausting. It gives you a, an indication of what happened that Absolutely. year. And the way that we sort of have approached these, if, if you haven't been listening the last couple weeks, is, of course, you know, we're, we're kind of taking a sample of not only what are historically important records, but also like records that um, were important to us from a musical kind of development point of view. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may kind of, uh, you know, pause for a moment if we for playing a certain record and wonder, you know, well, that, you know, I could clearly judge that such and such was more important than that historically. Why didn't you play Deicide Legion? Yeah, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, but again, it's these are records that sort of, you know, sat more with us, I guess. And Hammer Smash Face, as I, I talked about, and, you know, I mean, seeing this in Ace Ventura had a huge cultural effect for I think uh, uh, my generation and yours. Well, and even know. now with the the YouTube videos yeah. where they uh, you know superimpose the video or put the hammer smash face over the top of uh, forget what video that is. Uh, but some Swedish band from the seventies, like discoish kind of band, uh, but it yeah. fits so perfect. It's like any type in Cannibal Corpse. That's usually the first thing that yeah, pops it's, up. It's pretty fantastic. But this is sort of uh, you know ninety two is a weird year because I mean um, you know the last episodes. Uh, that we are well the last episode we did was 2001 but prior to that we did a couple of 80s shows when death metal was still sort of in its underground uh kind of you know hybridization if you will it's infancy really and and really by 92 we're we're talking you know death metal has in a sense kind of gone mainstream in a way you know morbid angel and uh bands like cannibal corpse um you know in the florida scene has has pushed death metal up into Mm -hmm. the forefront by now, the Swedish scene is, is sort of full tilt, you know, and we'll, we'll certainly be uh, getting to the Swedish scene. I mean, the whole um, Eric Records roster is pretty much there yeah, you know, at this point. Yeah, Roadrunner and Metal Blade and, and you know, Combat. And all those those records are, are those record labels are sort of, you know, firing all cylinders. And um, a few other death metal records that came out this year that, uh, especially American death metal records or, I guess, American-sounding death metal records, we're, of course, in, you know, uh, Incantation from New Jersey's Onward to Golgotha, which is a fantastic, real muddy, almost kind of monotone, but just like, you know, it, it achieves like this sort of, 
I don't know, it kind of blasts right through you. You know, it's, it's not the like death dynamic. Metal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Deicide's Legion, which is like a crisper, kind of tighter version of the, the Deicide Deicide debut, which is kind of considered a classic. Um, vastly underrated Malevolent Creation Retribution came out this year. Sinister's Crossing the, uh, Across the Sticks, just sweet record um, from the, the Dutch scene, which we'll be getting into the Dutch scene a little bit later. And then uh, Hypocrisy Penetralia, which we did a Hypocrisy show not too long back and mm-hmm. mentioned that especially Penetralia had a lot of American influence because at that point Peter was, I think, drawing a lot from the Florida scene. Oh, totally. You know, And then Edge of Sandy's Own Orthodox, which was very much the title unorthodox it was a you know um a strange hybridization of like i guess the swedish stuff and and some of the american kind of techniques you know mm-hmm. and uh you know edge sandy's a, a pretty big house band for mark and i yeah go back to episode two yeah it's our first <laughs> our first official band that we ever did a, a podcast for so but yeah so there's a lot happening in terms of you know death metal type stuff um you know, I guess what were what were you, by '92? You guys were pretty much in the scene at this point. You're pretty locked in, right? Oh yeah, this was uh, this was kind of the big year of the uh, the changeover from uh, cassette tapes to CDs. Okay. Too. Okay. So this is like well, probably I made that transition in '94, so I'm about probably years like '90 is when it started. But we didn't start like basically like rebuying everything again on CD okay. until this year too. So okay. and uh, yeah, we're both juniors in high school. Me and Chris that uh, did Rugby Magazine. And at this point, we had already put out, I think one up, one issue, one issue. Yeah. Oh, so you guys are rolling. Nice. Yeah. This is a you know the next set of music that we're going to kind of get into, which is more I guess what's what's starting to bubble out of the American mainstream. That's kind of where I was at this point because I was mm-hmm. in eighth grade and um, certainly wasn't quite ready to grasp all of the extreme metal and. Well, it was just, it wasn't available. Yeah, and I was Unless you knew where that. to find it. it there was a, a weird access, you know, factor that, that played into it, especially being in a town like Mount Pleasant, where Mark and I both kind of hail from. If you didn't know the right circles of people, then, like, you know, it was tough to get access to it. Unless, of course, like a video appeared on Headbangers Ball that sort of caught your fancy, or we were... T- uh, the Concrete Corner Samplers? The uh, Concrete Corner Samplers, yeah. uh, for those of you out there that remember those. Um but, you know, certainly the American scene is about to undergo uh, a dramatic, I guess, change, and it's going to move away from the thrash metal scene. Um, and there were a couple kind of... Well, at last, this point, it's pretty much dead. Yeah, I was going to say... Except for testing there's, the there's ritual. A, there's, a, there's a couple last efforts that are put out in 92, like Countdown to Extinction from Megadeth and, and the ritual from Testament, which Mark just mentioned. Both somewhat pretty failed, flawed efforts uh, from, you know pretty big thrash metal bands mm-hmm. and really outside of uh you know anthrax the next year will put out sound of white noise and they seem to adapt pretty well oh it was a reinvention you know? though it wasn't really yeah a thrash it wasn't record a thrash either. record exactly yeah. they they sort of piggyback on the next band that we're going to hear from uh sound which is alice in chains and by then by 92 of course grunge is in full swing and um in the 88 episode we played Soundgarden and, and mm-hmm. hinted that they were kind of a forward-looking band in a certain sense but, you know, bands like Alice in Chains and Pantera, which were going to be the next two bands that we play, certainly represented, I think, what was, you know, the new the new American scene. Kind of two different way. sides of it. I mean, Alice in Chains kind of has more of a blues rock Yeah, more of the base. Sabbath kind of. Yeah, know, where Pantera was a little bit more, uh, I guess, innovative in their guitar playing. And it was like a, the next step up from thrash. Yeah, I was going to say it's like an evolution of out of thrash. You're, you're simplifying it in a way and and. and deepening sort of the bottom heaviness that mm-hmm. Metallica achieved like on Masters of Puppets and stuff like that that sort of bottom you know boom, boom, kind and there's of a lot more uh, it's a lot more opened yeah than, than Thrash typically was too yeah. and this is you know kind of one of the uh, 
you know the early templates for what would become new metal yeah yeah unfortunately but and, this and is where it was still in my opinion it's still like this is like my last the last pantera record i bought yeah was i was one. gonna say this is sort of where you and you and chris kind of said goodbye to to a lot of the the sort of mainstream american metal mm-hmm. music you know and it was for for ironically for me and grind carcoon who's who's helped do a couple of these episodes in the past you know we were both in eighth grade and it was like we had to kind of take that stuff and that was the stuff that was going to like bring us forward you yeah. know um you know records we won't be playing that i think were really formative for for me especially and i know you like a couple of these records not all of them but uh, you know, Danzig Three, How the Gods Kill, that was sort of like in the forefront. I remember mm-hmm. seeing those videos on Headbangers. Um, you know, Faith No More's Angel Dust, which was incredibly innovative and really suggestive of some of the the patterns that you would see with new metal and just the more experimental metal of the nineties. Uh Helmet's Meantime, which is mm-hmm. a you know, great record, but we already devoted a whole episode to, to Helmet and, and, and did a lot with that. Don't forget about Body Count, dude. Uh Body Count, I mean you know Evil Dick. Uh, you know, Evil Dick, there goes the there goes the neighborhood, which is a great yeah. great riff on a great song. But Bernie C. You know, that got a lot of attention, you know, and here oh, yeah. it was, you know, uh, you know, again this this hybridization of hip hop and metal and, and some of the, the those circles were sort of being closed a little bit. Mm-hmm. And of course, as you mentioned, suggested the on the horizon this sort of new metal kind of thing. Uh Rollins Band End of Silence, which was, you know, for a lot of people a really big record and kind of the comeback of Henry Rollins in a way. Uh White Zombie La Devil Me uh, Last Exorcisto. But the reason we didn't play anything off of that, which it was a huge record, was because it, Thunder Kiss was really more associated with nineteen ninety three, not ninety two so much. And then uh of course, an oldie but a goodie, Biohazard's Urban Discipline, which I know uh, you are not a Biohazard fan. Not at all. Um, you know, Jeff and I were for that record, and, and I guess a little bit of the state of the whatever the next record was, State of the World Address or I don't, something, I don't something with five blocks to the subway. That's all I remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we kind of like mocked the band as we listened to them, but, you know, something like Punishment had a, a couple cool riffs well, here. Well, then there. Evan Seinfeld would go on to have a small but illustrious porn career. Yeah, this is true. And uh, <laughs> and a reality television career on that, that super group kind of thing. But, uh, but the record that I, you know, if we had more time that I would have really pushed for playing, but I don't know how it fits with all this stuff. But this was a huge record for especially Jeff and I, uh, Grant Corcoon and I, which the self, the first uh, Rage Against the Machine self titled, mm-hmm. um, because that was like unlike anything I'd ever heard. You know, basically this guy like almost rapping politically over top these like angular like almost you know not even like real riffs just sort of sounds just noise and noise yeah. and stuff it was just such i mean a the guitar is almost like picked up like like a we're a record scratch yeah or a for DJ sure. he would play working. you know tom morello would play with like wrenches and all kinds of stuff and you know hearing that in eighth grade was like whoa you know the possibilities are endless you know yeah. and uh, we used to bounce around and thrash uh, around our room to that record and one that we're going to be hearing from in a second which is vulgar display of power and uh, I, I remember tearing the part my room, you know, playing that and just like pretending to have like mock concerts or something like that. Well, that's not too far from the truth. That's I saw him on this tour and it was uh, one of the most violent pits I've ever been sure. in. And, and Pantera, I think, and especially this record uh, and the records that follow have kind of gained a notorious reputation uh, amongst, I think, extreme metal fans as being sellouts or. Uh, for I guess the fan base almost in a way you know the fans almost gave Pantera a worse name than than Pantera really actually became. Yeah, it was guilt by association, yeah. I think, really. But I mean, you look at where they started as this kind of like glammy cock rock band. Yeah. Then go to Cowboys from Hell, which is like a great thrash record. Yeah. And then and this then, is like kind of the like, beginning of tough guy metal or something. You know, yeah. it's, it's a weird record, but it resonated in in the that sort of eighth grade mentality, which is like well, they're like sim- 
simple and kind of dumb. Yeah, they're like know? the anti-sellouts, really. Yeah. I mean, they, they went from kind of what some people could consider just like throw away garbage music and then finally made something relevant yeah it's kind of a weird weird transition for sure but uh the first thing alice in chains dirt which we'll uh we'll play next um yeah i was telling mark i I remember sort of very fondly you know listening to this on cassette tape at when i was playing eighth grade basketball after our games were over with and we had to watch like uh the the b team or or there was like two teams Mm -hmm. i'd be sitting there in the bleachers rocking out to this reading like vertigo comics and stuff and really sort of looking around at my fellow classmates and, and, and kind of having these almost out-of-body experiences like, I'm not like these people. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not I'm not ever going to be like these people. And, uh, you know, this is a this is a pretty th- – this this record I'd like to believe oh, probably kept me off of hard drugs. You know, like it scared the – you know. Scared you straight to – Yeah, scared me straight a little bit, you know, because it's really an odyssey into, into um, you know, Lane Staley's sort of drug abuse and, and heroin uh, descent, if you will. But uh, Alice in Chains, you know, I mean, even though they got thrown in with the grunge scene, I always saw them as a metal band, you know, out of the Sabbath school. And, well, even if you just break down musically what they, how their approach is, they're mm-hmm. basically a metal band for yeah. all intents and purposes. I mean, Cantrell's solos that you'll hear in, in Them Bones coming up here in a second, I mm-hmm. mean, they're, they're, you know, straight metal riffs and stuff, you know. But, you know, again, guilt by association sometimes. Some people, I don't know if they appreciate Well, they kind of Alice transcend genre as well, so it's... Yeah, like Soundgarden, you know, yeah. in a way, so... But, uh, you know, what were your thoughts on Alice in Chains and, and stuff? I never minded them, but I never owned any of their stuff. Yeah. It was always just something to where, like, oh, if it was on... Because I think 90, 93 was the first year I had uh, MTV. Oh, okay. So I'd hear tons of their stuff. Yeah. Video rotation, which I never minded, but I just never owned because I yeah. heard it so much. Gotcha. Yeah. So, you know, again, for the uh, for the people like me in eighth grade, this was a very much a, a gateway drug kind oh, yeah. of record. You know, same with Vulgar Display of Power. So... Uh, but anyways, we've got Allison Chain's Dirt with them bones and uh, uh, oldie but a goodie fucking hostile from Pantera. Had that t-shirt. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> saying that. And I had a uh, Angry Chair t-shirt from Allison Chain's Dirt that I, I wore into the ground too. So, uh, but from Vulgar Display of Power, and then we've got uh, another set of, of tunage after that that we'll talk about when we come back. Enjoy.
was Amorphosis, signed from the north side from the Corellian Isthmus, Fear Factories Arise Above Oppression from Soul the New Machine, and Ministries Psalm 69 from Psalm 69, and then of course we started with Alice in Chains and Pantera. Um, I guess we'll talk first just real briefly about the, the industrial metal scene kind of coming into full swing at this point, uh, and you heard kind of two two different types of examples, more of the grinding uh, kind of traditional industrial scene yeah. out of out of the ministry which also you know you could mention um records like nine inch nails broken at that time you know which were uh um which was another pretty huge record you know in a sense because that record wish wish got a lot of play that song see um, I don't, that was a weird year because the a lot of like really harsh vocal approaches were like being embraced by the mainstream which mm-hmm. was kind of like rare up until that point yeah and even on the uh on the more extreme metal front, the more underground side, we had like uh, uh, Pitch Shifter had mm-hmm. put out Industrial the previous year. You know, Godflesh is moving along on their own sure. kind of track. Yeah, Godflesh Pure came out this year too, which mm-hmm. is another you know kind of uh, peak. And there's a there's a bunch of random I can't even think of. They're not I mean not really any bands of note, but there was a kind of a whole kind of little scene kind of bubbling around this. Well, you know, Fudge Tunnel. I think Creep Diets came out this year as well, which you know. It's not industrial, but it, but but in some ways, you know, especially when he crossed over with Max Cavalier and did the nail bomb thing, you know, like yeah, nail bomb had a little bit more of he was appreciated by that that sort of scene, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, this ministry record, Psalm sixty nine, I mean, you know, the the lyrics are you know very you know, blasphemous and very like death metal type lyrics, you know, drinking the blood of Jesus, <laughs> drinking it from yeah, really? you know, and uh, just all the samples of like church choirs and stuff. I mean, it's a it's an unnerving record. For for being a record that went mainstream, you know, and it went sold platinum, really well too. You know? Yeah. And, uh, they had three videos for this, you know I mean? Um, would they have just one, just fix, one fix, NWO and Jesus built my hot rod, you know, and yeah. those were all, you know, pretty big songs in a sense. And, uh, a lot of, like you said, a lot of people that weren't in the metal were listening to like ministry and nine inch nails broken and, and things like that. That were really pretty heavy, aggressive, kind of scary records you know yeah. for, for like your average people to sort of be tooling around with you know um you well know. i mean even compared to like look at some of the mainstream success of uh some of the hot topic kind of bands you know mm-hmm. that they'll have like a little like one guy screaming for a second and then it's like a clean song chorus yeah this stuff is so much more abrasive and in your face than any of that stuff is at all oh, yeah. for my valentine or that garbage yeah you know? yeah, yeah exactly um, you know, and a band who debuted this year and would probably have more of an impact with their next record um, was was Fear Factory. And you know, Fear Factory is a weird band. Like I have uh, the Concrete record, which is the demos that they did for Soul of the New Machine from the previous year. And uh, actually, Ross Robinson uh, actually produced the demos. That was the first thing he ever produced for him. <laughs> but then when they re-recorded it, they did this record with uh, Colin Richardson. And well, it was um, kind of the you know penultimate producer at this point i use the guru you know because he had done uh you know you're starting to do the carcass stuff he had done bolt throwers fourth crusade which was another record put out this year um what else had richardson done is i I know he did some other things that don't don't jump out to me did he do any napalm stuff i thought he did i don't know if it's this era or not though yeah i'm pretty sure he did at some point but but anyways you know fear factory um the concrete record that that ross robinson did i mean has like a morbid angel vibe to it you know Mm -hmm. so you know, Fear Factory's later output after 95 or so, um, you know, after uh, the, 
the heck's the record uh demanufacture record mm-hmm. uh that was really the sort of the last really great thing they did and then then they really sort of gravitated towards the mainstream and tried to like hook into the new metal scene and and really ruin their reputation for i think people like you and i you know yeah. like it was hard for me to go well, back actually and, soul of new machine is the only one i actually got into at all so. okay yeah, and i'm a big demanufacture fan but you know by 95 when that record comes out i mean mark you're listening to stuff so far away from that, you know, whereas I was still towing the line by 95 cause I was still in high school. Sure. So I was in extreme metal, but I also kind of, you know, liked my roots of like the, the stuff that got me into metal too, you know, mm-hmm. but, uh, rise above oppressor. I mean, you know, that's for a two minute song. It just, you know, beats the living hell out of you. And you, you got to give props to some of the, it's almost got like a grindy ending there. Too. Oh, for sure. You know, and the Raymond Herrera's drumming is, is pretty incredible for, you know, for not being a drum machine and stuff like that. Not some of it's programmed, but it's yeah. all, it's all, uh, he's got like pads and stuff. I saw him live on this tour as well. And, uh, just his drum kit was just bizarre because like the kick it was like you know had full cymbals and a couple toms and a snare but then there's all these pads around it too gotcha. so gotcha you know and Dino Cesar as the his style of guitar riff really becomes iconic for like the 90s sound almost oh know, totally a lot yeah. of bands like Machine as did his ego and, yeah no doubt and uh, <laughs> did his eating appetite I think as well so yeah he's his a, voracious <laughs> hunger for for metal and tacos <laughs> he's a pretty big dude <laughs> But uh, yeah, if you're listening, you know, don't come kick our asses because I'm sure he could. So we could outrun the dude, crush us. Yeah, that's true. I am a cross country runner. He's about uh, what five foot two and four hundred pounds <laughs> 400, or something, yeah, so. something like that. But uh, you know, Fear Factory's newest record, uh, I'll go on record and say it's it's pretty decent for for something that I I never really would have paid attention to. But but anyways, you know, this is also like a, a very representative record of Roadrunner at this time, mm-hmm. and Roadrunner was almost like ruling the American scene. I mean, Roadrunner had such a huge hold on it it seemed like almost every like quasi mainstream extreme metal record was coming out on roadrunner for a while you know outside yeah, of between Eric. between them and eric but eric always had more of a i think they had a better sensibility oh for sure uh yeah, they had because roadrunner i think as soon as they saw that this stuff had any kind of mainstream appeal at all they started catering their bands toward the mainstream Absolutely. appeal and they pushed it towards that you mm-hmm. know um, outside of like having like you know obituary or wasn't love and creation on there as mm-hmm. well for a while yeah um but as soon as you get to like 93 94 95 then it starts like kind of going off the tracks a little bit sure yeah yeah so and then the last thing we heard there uh which opens up a new conversation i would say which is the whole european scene that was sort of going on and Mm -hmm. uh the debut from finland's uh fantastic amorphous um you know whether you know by then you this stuff is what you and chris were kind of starting to listen to yeah we were Um, really looking into that niche kind of stuff i mean at the same time you had bands like demolich out of finland coming out and mm-hmm. i mean we were just like you know there's a, a deluge of just tons of just great little tiny bands that we'd kind of been following from the seven inch and demo stages that finally start putting out full-length records and this is relapse's first uh european signing i believe yeah and one that would go on to be a pretty prolific band for them yeah it really kind of put relapse on the map as being not just sort of a grind or kind of like north uh you know east coast midwest death metal label you know yeah um, yeah because I mean, at that point they really only had death metal wise they had like deceased uh amorphous and a handful of other they were more they were more kind of crossover acts with the grind and stuff yeah. too so yeah this was kind of like the, the the first band to really kind of open up their roster i think and legitimize them as i think a player in in mm-hmm. terms of being a, a powerful label and you know they were really young when they put this record out if i remember right they were, well, they were in their teens you know 15 16 17 yeah. somewhere in there you know and just you know the the whole idea of drawing you know lyrically from you know their traditional kind of culture stuff 
Uh, it was like another kind of play on the whole Viking thing. Mm-hmm. It was like another uh, another like uh, culture that you know coming from you know Middle America. I had no idea what the hell any of this stuff was about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't, you don't you know study the Scandinavian countries and high school yeah, no certainly not <laughs> you don't know anything about it so yeah and i think wasn't all this stuff was it from the uh the Kantlevar, or was that elegy and tales i think that's elegy and tales this okay. this has a little bit from it but i think that they started going kind of crazy about it next yeah and a pretty pretty cool cover really you know i think uh, yeah it was uh God, i used to know the uh the artist who did this but i mean the band was what was it Asa holopinian tommy kuvasari jean something and i'm gonna forget the other dude's name now Oh, boy. Well, some of these guys are, like, in Chaos Breed and stuff now, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And some of the guys are back in Amorphous again, too, so. But, you know. Oh, Miri and Kim, who had done some comic work before. Oh, had he? So. Okay. Okay. You know. But, yeah, I mean, Amorphous was one of the first bands. Um, you know, reason I kind of end it with this song, it, it, Amorphous is what allowed me to meet Chris, because I went into New Moon Records, where eventually I worked, and eventually, mm-hmm. you know, you worked as well. And I went into Order Tales from a Thousand Lakes from New Moon, and Chris happened to be working when I went into Order it, and I went into Order that and Tiamat Wild Honey, which um, you know came out both like ninety four ninety five. I think I was a sophomore in high school, and then that sort of opened up a whole like conversation that that really mm-hmm. you know kind of got me to where I am today. I think you know because suddenly Chris was like, whoa somebody uh that's interested in amorphous that's kind of weird yeah you know but i didn't hear this record until after tales from a thousand lakes but okay uh, we well actually i lie because what i had heard is grindcore coon and i had picked up the 10 years or five years of nuclear blast sampler mm-hmm. that had come out and it had the gathering on it um okay. the the first song on the record but it had it was when missing. did that come out was that 95 you know i don't know Okay. When it came out, because at this point, Relapse was they had a, a partnership with Nuclear Blast yep. as well. They were yep. the Nuclear Blast America branch, but yep. but Amorphous was purely a Relapse signing yeah, for sure. And and what happened is I heard that song on there, that and the Gorefest, uh, Mental Misery Live were the two favorite songs in that five. Oh, years the live and Eindhoven thing. Yeah, and uh, that I kind of told Coon, I said, Hey man, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go order some Amorphous. You know, yeah. I've been reading good things about these guys on you know uh, through. Uh, different magazines. I think Metal Maniacs had like maybe made a mention of them or something. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so Morphus was one of the uh, the gateway drugs into Europe for me, I guess, if you, if you say. But I guess some other European acts that were putting out good records around this time. Um, you know, Tiamat, who we mentioned, put out Clouds, which is a, a pretty fantastic kind of psychedelic doom record. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Gathering, Always, which uh, was prior to them getting Annika, the female vocalist. Um, My Dying Bride put out As the Flower Withers their uh, debut full length yeah which we've we covered them kind of exhaustively yeah. in a two-part yeah. episode and cathedral soul sacrifice which a lot of people including myself you know the, that's a pretty tightly compact ep but that might be four of the my favorite that's, songs that's their know. transitional album really yeah. or their transitional ep they kind of burn really hot those first three records is kind of like you know the be-all end-all of that era for sure man great stuff you know um but you know, and then uh, Bolt Thrower's Fourth Crusade we mentioned, and then Graves, uh, you'll never, you'll never see, you'll never see. Dot 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 dot. Heaven. Dot dot dot. Scream. Yes. And then uh, Unleashed across the open seas. So good record. Yeah, pretty good record. And we'll be hearing some Unleashed. Uh, I'm sure coming down the pipe yes, as we get yes. to the early '90s, late '80s, and stuff. But um, so Europe was is where we're going to kind of turn our attention to next. Um, you know, tell us about the these next couple bands that I think are making their debut on our countdown, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Asphyx, uh, last one on Earth. Their uh, 
from Holland, correct? Yes, they're Dutch. The D- Dutch, Holland, Netherlands, that all oh, that, that stuff like throws you off. It throws me off completely. <laughs> throws so. my students off too when I okay. talk about in history. So I mean, outside of um, we had uh, pestilence mm-hmm. in this era as well, and uh, Thanatos was also kind of you know the all three very Thanatos kind is, of uh, Thanatos is like uh, debut realm of realm of the dark. I think. Oh no, that was their second record. Uh, Emerging from the Netherworlds is their debut. Mm-hmm. Realm from the Dark came out in '92 as well. Okay, it should be mentioned. But yeah, those th- you, those three bands from you know pretty close geographic area were so incredibly different. But as Fix was kind of like I almost saw them as kind of like the torchbearers of Celtic Frost, and mm-hmm. I don't even know at yeah. that point. I mean, they they had that kind of approach to songwriting, but it was so dirty and so thick and just like completely immersive. And anybody that's listened to our podcast for a long time knows what huge Fix fans we are. I mean, we talk, we did a whole show on us Fix. They were on our year-end show uh, mm-hmm. a few months back. Yeah, for their comeback record. Uh, for their comeback record. Well, obviously, when we talked about Maryland Metal Fest last summer, we talked a lot about his fix, you know, being mm-hmm. one of the highlights and stuff. Um, so, you know, uh, Last One on Earth, definitely one of their, their two amazing first debut records, you know. Well, real, the, the only two with Martin Van Drennan until, you know, they'd, they'd come so out this, this last this year. Last one. Yeah, yeah, with Death the Brutal Way. Yeah. And uh, Streams from the Ancient Wisdom, uh, tune you picked because kind of more slower correct yeah i mean stuff on this record we've yeah we had some time constraints so we couldn't play some of the longer tracks that i think are you know probably some of my more favorites sure. but you'll get the you'll get the feel of his fix i think from this you song, get the right? gist of this and you get the kind of the okay they they're they're kind of um dirt or the i mean the, it's not just straight ahead blasting like a lot of the songs could be on this record so there's like a little bit of the dirginess there's some you know some soloing it's it just kind of i think it's kind of the whole package it's mm-hmm. pretty pretty evocative of what they sound like overall sure and then we've got you know at the gates red and sky is ours they're pretty full length pretty huge uh pretty huge record that year for you know and for me hearing that i was like wow and pretty big i mean it goes without saying that at the gates is probably one of the premier european metal bands ever you know oh totally Uh, certainly last 20 20 definitely i mean it took them you know several albums to really get that kind of credit but yeah but going back and revisiting a lot of this stuff again it's just like they were so ahead of ahead of the curve i mean go check out that uh what is it, under and serpent sun dvd that just came out yours just came in the mail today finally yeah. good lord i had to pay extra postage on it too yeah. but i had i had gotten mine the european version so i got mine a while three months back. ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh windows the tune we're gonna play i mean this is one when we saw uh we did the podcast a couple summers ago uh with albert about the at the gates reunion show and windows was one of the songs they played on that reunion tour mm-hmm. when we you and i drove out to new york and uh, to see those guys and uh you know again the this this record um sounds so much better i think now like i mean it, it really holds the test of time you know mm-hmm. in terms just of like, so, the use of melodies and it was stuff. so dense at the time that I, you couldn't necessarily decipher everything mm-hmm. as a as a kind of like a, a novice you know extreme metal listener so yeah and you hear all the elements that you're going to hear in like either what are quote unquote their classic records like terminal spirit disease and slaughter of the soul you know mm-hmm. the ones that have more of a mainstream appeal but they're all in the song, you know, the, the, the deep, rich melodies. Yeah, all the roots are there for sure. Yeah. So, But uh, At The Gate's definitely one of the, the flagship bands of this whole European scene. And then uh, one last uh, band that we'll mention that we're going to be playing, and then we'll keep the other two kind of secretive from you, but that's Paradise Lost, which is a band definitely near and dear to Mark and, and myself as well, but uh, more, more probably one of your favorite, if not your favorite doom metal band, right? Yeah, I mean, they're one of my favorite bands. They're one of my top five bands, easy. Yeah. Of of all time, so I mean, 
when I first, this was the first. And this is Shades of God the, yeah, the, that we're talking about. Which here. a lot of people kind of considered, back in the day, considered it being a sellout record, which completely <laughs> blows my mind. Because uh, you listen to the vocals and they're pretty damn harsh still. Yeah. He, he's not doing the super guttural stuff he's doing on Gothic or Lost Paradise. But, but still, but this was the first time I got a CD Walkman. This is, I didn't have a CD stereo or anything at this point. And over Christmas break, I listened to this album almost all day, every day, forever. <laughs> so playing, you know, drums on a pillow and stuff to it too. So it was a, it was a pretty influential record for me as well. And like, really, this is a record. I feel like, uh, you know, like Gregor really opens up with a lot of his leads. I mean, really becomes mm-hmm. like steps into the forefront of, of being a, like a, just a great lead player. And well, the, all this the songwriting is finally, it's starting to come together. Every, like every bit of it, except, you know, they've always got the weak length of the drummer, which yeah. until now they've <laughs> sure. figured that yeah. out. But, yeah. but yeah, but uh, so we got Mortals Watch the Day from Shades of God kind of coming up. So we've got Asphyx, Streams of Ancient Wisdom from the last one on Earth, uh, At the Gate's Windows from Red and the Sky is Ours, and then Paradise Lost, Mortals Watch the Day from Shades of God, and then a few surprises afterwards. Yes.
Thus beginneth, Mark, the second wave of black metal. Our descent into hell. Yeah, Bur- Burzum's uh, self-titled, which what you just heard, which was uh, Ia, Lord of the Depths. I, I don't know if that's the proper pronunciation. Ia. Yeah, that's because from the Morbid Angel lyrics. Uh, Ia, Saka. All the Ia. All the Sumerian yeah. crap. Okay. And then before that, uh, Dark Thrones, uh, Paragon Belial. Uh, a Belial, excuse me, from A Blaze in the Northern Sky. And then, of course, Paradise Lost at the Gates and Asphyx started everything off. But uh, Second Wave of Black Metal, I mean, these are two uh, pretty huge landmark records. Um, two of the first, I think, to come out, right? Wouldn't you say? Is, in terms of, I mean, other than some of the, the early Mayhem stuff, which wasn't really, like, great recordings. I mean, you know. Um, oh, like Pure Fucking Armageddon and some yeah, of that. Yeah, Death and some of that. It was recorded stuff. awfully, but... Yeah, this, I mean, this is the stuff that was probably brought to our attention first. Mm-hmm. I, I would think, like, and actually knowing of Dark Throne before they turned into, you know, what would be basically become like the the next twelve or fifteen years of their career. Mm-hmm. You know, the kind of black metal sound, and by the time like ninety five, you know, Transylvanian Hunger comes out, and they've completely changed yet again. Yeah. But but this is like, there's so much going on. I mean, at first listen, it, it sounded like okay, it sounds like somebody turned on our electric razor. Like, what the hell happened to all the well, the Soul Side Journey record, which was their debut, uh, had been pretty dynamic. For it was kind of like a technical death, death metal, metal record, yeah, basically. Kind of clandestine type stuff from Entombed almost. You know? Yeah, and this was just, it was kind of like blew us away at first just by like how different it was, but then blew us away at how like fantastic it was. Mm-hmm. And like imagery, subject matter, just the tone of it was so eerie and dark and it was just like really unsettling hmm. listening to this at first. So, yeah. and then hearing Burzum, the, the vocals sounded like somebody like getting stabbed repeatedly. <sighs> I mean, they're, they're harsh. <laughs> and they, you know, that's been the major, major criticism from some people is they can't penetrate the vocals. I love them because they're so over the top. They're ridiculously so, over the top. I mean, if they were maybe dropped a little bit in the mix, but I think this is kind of the point. Yeah. It's, it's meant to be unsettling and kind of unnerving. It's not meant to be a pleasant, like quiet listen, you know, not at all. And the drums, in particular, on that track we just heard, are, are pretty, uh, pretty rocking. I mean, they're the whole. I mean, the opening riff is like a quintessential black metal riff to yeah, me, you know. Yeah, and Paragon Bilal, uh is is one of the slower Dark Throne tunes, but it's it sort of grinds in like almost a, you know, Sabbath black metal kind of way. It's it's a yeah, weird, and like weird it's got sound. unbelievable like lead thing at the end. Just like I mean, so so loud the the sound almost starts to like decay. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> Fantastic yeah. production on that thing as well. But you know, I mean, what was what were your and Chris's impressions of this this kind of second wave of black metal that was coming out? Because Immortals, Diabolical, Full Moon, Mysticism, the, the came out the previous came year. Out, no, it came out this year as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So yeah, because I mean, we had yeah you know, we had all three of those, and that was black metal at the at this time was like it wasn't as kind of you know oversaturated as mm-hmm. it is now, and it wasn't so it, it was kind of a new thing, really. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't so. Uh, it wasn't so controversial either. Yeah. So that was the, it was just like, okay, this is just another like niche that we're going to start following. And then by you know, like the doom scenes and everything the, else, the, the church burnings and all the chaos began, I think. Yeah. Right. You know, which, so. you know, made it even more enticing to yeah. get into it at that point until it just like, you know, kind of got to a glut. And yeah. Like, it kind of fell in a 97 was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So those are uh, two very landmark records, uh, you know, two controversial bands in, in their own weird way, but, but both, absolutely essential i think to to understanding the future of like metal throughout the 90s you know so um but we're gonna end things tonight uh with a trio of bands 
that all have, I guess, one thing in common, and in in one weird way or another, they are sort of associated with, I guess, the stoner scene, uh, but all from totally different angles. Uh, One from a grindcore scene, one from more of a rock and roll scene, and one from a utter total despair, sludge and doom kind of a you know scene. So. Uh, we got Caius, I Hate God, and Brutal Truth. Uh, three bands together again for the first time. You know, can you imagine that? Well, I think that, they've that all tour? had, uh, oh, I guess Caius never did. I was going to say, as far as I Hate God and Brutal Truth have all had pot leaves on covers. Yeah. yeah. But Caius, more, I don't, they never really sang about drugs, but they always sort of got thrown into like being like the flagship band of the whole like new, brand new stoner metal scene that, you know, yeah. them and Sleep you know kind of like took the the mantle like desert i mean basically like this is the kind of stuff you'd listen to when you go out to the desert and trip on peyote yeah or exactly you know and i hate god was doing like really like household chemicals and you yeah know, like i hate god it was they're, they're like, like the crystal meth, meth. Yeah, yeah totally and then brutal truth was just sort of like stoner grind you know which was an, almost a little oxymoronic. coke thrown in yeah yeah, yeah a little coke thrown in. <laughs> a little new york you know gotta get the the new york thing kind of going but you know, Caius's "Blues for the Red Sun," which was, uh, you know, I I think is is a masterpiece, uh, just like Sky Valley. You know, I think it could have been, uh, could have been right up there with it. Um, you know, this is a record that's never left me, and and obviously had tremendous impact on the future of not at the time, but ex- in the down future, the road, those future yep, scenes yep, for sure, definitely way ahead of its time. Uh, I hate God uh, in the name of the suffering. That was their debut. And uh, this tune left to starve, just a just sort of a, a nice sampling of, of what that record was. You really sort of have to sit and like in, envelop yourself in the chaos of that whole record. I mean, it's a ugly, I think, uh, brutal, nasty, disgusting. Take as needed for pain. Their next record, I think, is a little bit more oh, accessible better, for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. I think that's the place to start. If yeah, you, yeah, if you've yeah. never tried out, I hate God. Uh, but definitely, this was a record that defined my like freshman year in high school because we got a hold of a used copy of it, and, and Grind Carcoon just like couldn't escape listening to this record. Kind of sums up his personality too. Yeah, so. yeah, in a sense, you know, that's uh, he's sort of grind and doom mixed together, but definitely sludgy it kind of had like a hardcore vibe to it but like done through the context of the melvins and you know just total chaos you know mm-hmm. ugly vocals and ugly sounding everything ugly production ugly lyrics you know ugly cover you know just really disturbing imagery on the back cover uh or in the inside sleeve like well that's the original of, cover yeah just nasty stuff you know <laughs> uh, new orleans the the whole like nola scene that down and uh soylent green and some of those bands mm-hmm. are, are going to kind of repopulate and then we're going to end things tonight with uh the debut of brutal truth uh extreme, extreme conditions. conditions demand extreme responses yeah and this was a kind of a this could have been out of the english grind scene almost but it oh, totally. had a kind of its own unique kind of feel in that it slowed things down it got sludgy sometimes and well and it even got it was almost it kind of took everything terrorizer did napalm did up at that time carcass disrupt destroy all that stuff and like made a really cohesive like fantastic record out of this yeah. thing scott lewis on drums from winter uh yeah. you know who also did the cover of disrupts unrest which is a record we talked about a few weeks danny ago. danny loker so. from uh, nuclear assaults yeah that's just true yeah. kevin sharp and i forget the guitar player's name i always forget the guitar player's name i yeah me too he was on i think he was on the first three records and then he left then he left okay yeah i'll look i'll look but uh, Ill Neglect, this has a great breakdown that we... Uh, it's more napalm than napalm. <laughs> and the, basically kind of uh, borrowing from that whole Celtic Frost breakdown tradition. But Yeah. Yeah, yeah this was uh, this is a record I think is kind of... People usually pass by this and go to... Uh, oh, what was their second one now? I can't even think of the title of it. Um, 
the one with God player, need to control. Need to control. Yeah. I think people kind of always jump to that as being like their their masterpiece, but this has always been the one I my go to record. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I like both kind of equally, you know, because I, I I was a late bloomer on, on Brutal Truth because I well because I heard this first. The next one, the next record is not as it's not as concise. It's a little bit more experimental and sure. uh, indulgent, I think. But yeah. yeah. But uh, good places to end, as these are all three American bands, but all three in different camps that will dominate the 90s. And the 90s really is uh, an era of everybody's all over the map, you know, and it's really hard to encapsulate, like, 90s metal, whereas in the 80s there were scenes. Mm-hmm. 90s, you know, the lid gets sort of blown off a lot of these scenes, and, you know, you'll see a band like I Hate God on tour with Pantera, you know, and yeah. the Deftones and the Melvins, and it's like, what? You <laughs> know, none of this makes sense. But uh, anyways, shoot us an email. Let us know what you thought. Requiempodcast at gmail.com. Or check us out on our website, requiempodcast.com. On Facebook, uh, Mark and Jason. Leave us a uh, review on iTunes. That'd be fantastic. Uh, Subscribe through iTunes as well. Yep. And just let us know. You know, we got merchandise, Mark's artwork from Decibels up there, mugs, T-shirts, all that good stuff. Uh, You know, we really appreciate any of the the stuff that you purchase. And it helps us out a little bit. And just let us know what you thought. You know, if we missed something from uh, 1992, uh, we apologize. But this is just sort of our uh, point of view, if you will. But um, anyways, so for uh, Requiem Metal Podcast, uh, we got Caius, I Hate God and Brutal Truth on the way. And I am Jason. And I'm Mark. Enjoy.
Nothing. Ew. It's 